You're listening to At The Corner with Matthew Schmidt. Join us as we hear stories from founders and leaders who are in the trenches and share their stories of startup and scale-up. In raw conversation, we unpack what has gone right and what could have gone better and how to ultimately improve organizational health to grow the next big company. Now, here's your host, Matthew Schmidt. Hello, welcome to another episode of the At The Corner podcast, where we're here to talk with founders, CEOs, and leaders of growth stage companies and share their stories with you, the listener. I'm Matt Schmidt, your host. Today, we're joined by my good friend, James Avery, CEO and founder of Kevl, a developer-friendly ad tech company that's been on the rocket ship lately. James, welcome. Thanks for having me, Matt. Fantastic. So, you know, let's break the ice a little bit. Uh, we're going to have a little fun here. What was your favorite TV show growing up? Oh, my favorite TV show growing up. That's a good question. You know, I would say, well, as a small child, right, it was uh, Transformers. But, you know, the great travesty of my life was that I would get home from school or no, I had to leave for school right before Transformers came on in the morning. And so I had to watch the intro to Transformers, which was GoBots. So I grew up with a lot more GoBots than Transformers and then would see the beginning of the show and we had to leave for school. And what's your opinion of the the more modern Transformers uh, evolution? Oh, it's absolute garbage. You know, it's just, you can't even tell what's going on. There's so much pointless action, uh, which, you know. <laughs> All the explosions, its, right? Yeah, like has its moments, I guess, but not not a huge fan. <laughs> That's great. So, James, tell us a little bit about Kevl. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, at Kevl, what we've done is build, you know, kind of like Twilio or AWS. We've built a, a API platform that developers and and companies can use to build out an ad platform. And so, you know, over the last, you know, especially four or five years, we've seen a real growth in marketplaces and food delivery and e-commerce and advertising is this really big opportunity for those companies uh, that many of them, you know, kind of hadn't built along the way. And they can use our APIs to, uh, to launch those ad platforms a lot faster, uh, you know, save time as well as, you know, kind of get our, you know, industrial grade, things like pacing and reporting uh, that come along with it. Awesome. And, you know, was this always what Kevl and I guess your your prior iteration, was this always what you guys have been focused on? No, not at all. And so, you know, we we got we got started or I got started quite a long time ago on this. Um, We actually raised our our seed round back in 2011. Uh, And the goal back then was really focusing more on uh, like vertical ad networks, as well as traditional publishers. And so we were really trying to go kind of head to head with with Google and working with these, you know, traditional publishers like, uh, you know, CNN or New York Times. Uh, and, you know, that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it can be really hard to compete with Google. Yeah, you know, it's like I didn't I didn't really understand some of the the dynamics that Google had going for it, where you know, they had really successfully bundled their their ad serving product with all the Google demand. And so if a company wanted access to Google's demand, they pretty much had to use their ad serving product, uh, which I mean, now has actually been, you know, is being challenged in the courts. Uh, it's kind of like monopolistic behavior. But I actually look at it as a good thing, because I think the opportunity we kind of pivoted into is a much more exciting opportunity with, I think, a lot more uh, potential. Uh, but we actually, you know, I just tell people we kind of we got a little lucky in that we had built a good set of APIs uh, for our product and that we found that the customers we were selling were using our APIs and that that's what they were excited about. 
And so we really just kind of leaned into that and said, okay, like, well, who, you know, which publishers or marketplaces need APIs and want to do something non-standard? And that kind of led us down the route of building this, you know, API platform that companies can build on top of. Yeah, it's really an interesting story because, you know, I've, I've written in the past about, you know, the this difference between whether it's a, a course correction or a pivot. And would you guys say that, you know, this choice to go, you know, full API, full developer focused was was an intentional choice once you saw that that's how people were, you know, using your platform? Yeah, it was definitely a it was definitely a choice. Um, and whether you call it a pivot, right? Like I've seen pivot used for everything from, you know, somebody started a, you know, there's like famous examples, right? Somebody started like a dog food company and then pivoted into Uber or something, right? Like that's right. That's very different. Like I think of a pivot as right, you know, what it's named after, right? Like you're you're kind of you know one foot is still planted, right? And like our, mm-hmm. our one foot was still planted in ad serving. And it was really the pivot was saying we're going to move away from the kind of traditional web, uh, you know, display units and web publishers and really focus on this kind of new emerging market of, you know, marketplaces and and native and, and all the things that came with it. So I think it was a pivot uh, and it was definitely intentional. But, yeah, it was definitely uh, it wasn't the, you know, kind of complete change of the business. Absolutely. And, and you know, and now everybody wants to be a, a media company and an ad serving company, right? Yeah, I mean, like the, I mean, the advertising, you know, I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is kind of incredible with like how advertising is really working its way into most experiences. And I think it's kind of a natural evolution because if you go back to like the the banner ads, that was never the best unit to, to work on the internet or the web right. or mobile, right? It was like, it was, you know, we Are kind you of saying like, that pop up wasn't the, the best way that you could. Yeah, yeah. Or it's a uh, it's ugly uh, step cousin the uh, pop under. You yeah, know, exactly. The... Yeah, like uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, these you know because it was just like translating what worked in newspapers and magazines and billboards, and you know at the end of the day, like the the best advertisement, like the best ad unit ever created was you know Google AdWord, right? right. Like you're right. literally searching for something and you know what you want, and if somebody can put an ad in front of you for that product or service like you will click on it, right? And if it's in context, right? The context is what matters. So. Yeah, exactly. And not even just context, like it's like intent, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like if you go log into Instacart and you search for eggs, like they know exactly what you're doing. You want to buy eggs, right? And you want to deliver to your house in the next couple of hours. Like you couldn't ask for a better person to to market to, right? To market everything that's a spatula for your eggs, right? Yeah, yeah, or just your eggs, right? Like you want to right. market your new Different organic, you know, yeah. whatever eggs or your, you know, your vegan egg replacement, right? Like it's like there's lots of companies that want that want to get in front of you right there. Hmm. Very cool. So tell us, how did you, uh, what motivated you to start Kevl? Yeah, it's interesting because I I had run a, you know, I was a kind of software engineer background. I'd been running a small ad network that the tech for that basically is what started Kevl, right? Like that was the tech I had built to run this small ad network. And the really the realization I had while running that small ad network was that, you know, advertising gets like a bad name, right? And a lot of people don't like online advertising or any advertising. But what I saw was that I was putting money into the pockets of people who were creating good content that was freely available for anybody. 
right? And like, and the reason like, you know, it was freely available for anybody was because of advertising. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when as I looked at the landscape and realized, well, you know, if we end up where it's only Google and Facebook who make money online, then we only end up with Google and Facebook. And like, that's the internet. So like, I'm passionate because I love the internet. Like I, you know, I think I've been able to be successful in life because of the internet. And I don't want it to become a, you know, duopoly or triopoly between a handful of these companies. I want there to be, you know, independent companies that can build profitable online businesses. Uh, and so that's what, you know, got me excited about, you know, going out and seeing if I can do that. That's an amazing story. And, you know, you're absolutely right about duopoly or at least the control of, of the few, right? All right. So then I guess it's a, you know, how do you feel about the, this whole idea of the metaverse and the, you know, the different companies that are trying and vying for control there? Yeah. You know, I think the, like the whole metaverse thing, I, I think still feels more, you know, I mean, I feel like it's been like the year of AR VR for like 10 years. Like we keep being told that this is like the future, you know, and that we're going to like put on a headset and be able to interact with our coworkers. And, you know, kind of the the video from from Meta was, you know, to me, just like dystopian. Like this is not this is not really how I want to work. Right. Like I want to work in a focused way, uh, you know, and then interact with people in the best way possible. But, yeah, I, I am not I'm not bullish on the metaverse anytime in the in the near future. It is. It is not going to be the well. Even the original, you know, the the sources of the, you know, the term metaverse and the stories and the book fiction where it comes from were they were very dystopian. There was no like, uh, you know, really positive environment that was coming out of that. So yeah, I, I mean, think, this is basically people that read Snow Crash and said, yeah. "That's what I want to do," right? Exactly. <laughs> said no one ever. So like, I'm not entirely sure, you know, why that's a. Uh, why it's become so popular but you know certainly my my 13 year old is is loud enough on the vr headset for you know that there's there's something there whether it's for our generation or not yeah and I, and I think i mean to me i think what is even more exciting and i'm really excited to see what apple comes out with is is really this like augmented reality right mm-hmm. like i think the opportunities there are are way more than the opportunities in in kind of metaverse virtual reality uh, yes you know, and yeah. I think that that, you know, there's there's so many interesting applications uh, for, you know, just having that, you know, little bit of augmentation, right, and to uh, to what we normally see versus saying, like, let's all go hang out in Roblox, right? Like, my son's in Roblox all day long already, <laughs> and they're just going to call it the metaverse. And it's like, yeah, it's it's sure, right? <laughs> my, my credit card certainly tells me that the uh, the kids are all are in meta in the metaverse all the time right yeah the metaverse is really expensive it turns out yes yes it is for the for the parents like us it absolutely is so no i absolutely i agree with you on the that augmented reality you know the you may remember the the google glasses uh when those first came out the the sort of first cut at that that world but I think, you know, being able to get more information from what's going on around you is really where the potential is. Yeah, I mean, I would pay a lot of money just to like when I'm at a conference and you're looking at that, you know, man or woman across the room and you're like, I know them. Right. Who is that? If it would just tell me who that is, like, I would take my money, right? Uh, yes. Given how terrible I am with remembering names, um, yeah, that, I think that would be a huge addition to my to my day. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what we all want. We want like that Terminator view, 
right? And then when you, right. if you ever used like Google Glass, it was like having like a CRT TV in your peripheral vision, right? It was not there yet, but maybe maybe the next gen will get there. Exactly, exactly. So you know, let's let's pivot to you know to use the term from earlier a little bit, and you know, let's talk about your team and where you guys. You know, obviously the the pandemic has has changed how companies are working and. I think from my office here, I can see where uh, where your office was and where you guys, you know, kept most of your your team before the pandemic. So, you know, were you guys primarily remote before before the pandemic, or was that uh, something that you know changed as uh, out of necessity? Yeah, so it it was. It's uh, I think we got lucky there as well, where we had started to hire more and more remote. So we had. You know, we'd already hired a fair number of engineers remote. We had a handful of uh, salespeople that were remote. Um, we had already had people in in uh, London or like around London. Uh, so like we, you know, I'd say we were probably 60% in Durham before the pandemic. But the good thing there is, right, is that we had learned how to work remote, mm-hmm. right? Like we had, you know, we, you know, we all knew how to use Zoom. <laughs> we, we knew how to, uh, you know, effectively have meetings on Zoom. We uh, you know, had had the right setups in different places for people that were remote. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, it just got accelerated. Uh, whereas now I think we're more like 25% in Durham and 75% somewhere else. And we've stayed like fairly remote. I think we have, you know, one or two people that go into the office now. That winds up being a lot of space for, for one or two people. Yeah. Are you looking to sublet any space? We should talk. <laughs> So how has, uh, you know, how has the company culture changed uh, as you've, you know, moved, changed that dynamic from being, you know, 60% in person to, you know, 20 or 25% in person? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think it's changed for the better for people who are remote, because I think they're on more equal footing. You know, I think it is tough if you're the, you're the only remote person and then conversations happen in hallways or, you know, sometimes meetings, it's hard to hear what's going on. Uh, so I really like that aspect of it, that it's like leveled the playing field for everybody. There's really no advantage to being in uh, Durham versus being in, you know, London. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think I think that's been good. Uh, and then I also think the you know, one of the great things, is I think we've just been able to hire amazing people all over the place. And like, we've kind of been able to like, let that stop being a thing. Uh, and then one of the things I'm excited about, too, is that some people have, have said, oh, can I move to, you know, this other state? And we're like, sure. Like, they've always wanted to do it, but their job was always where they lived. And so it's right. like, that's kind of great, right? Like, people can can go live where they want to live because we don't really care where they live. And so, yeah, I mean, I think overall it's been it's been good. I still, like, you know, personally, I still miss some of the interactions, but I also have found that I've gotten really productive at home as well. Well, I think, you know, the, the, there are a lot more services, uh, you know, you talk about the, the people needing to, you know, are being able to move, to, right? Before the pandemic, it was, you, there was a lot of overhead from uh, paying people and benefits and all that kind of stuff if you weren't, you know, all in one place. And now I think that's gotten so much easier to be able to manage. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at how do we, how do we start to really expand across the whole globe? Right. Like, mm-hmm. why do we, you know, other than, you know, time zones are definitely like a consideration, right? Like it is, it is tough if you have a team that's very time zone distributed, they have to learn to kind of work a different way. But otherwise, like, why do, why do we care where somebody lives? Right. If they're the best candidate, let's hire them. Right. Can you get truly great people? I think that's, 
you know, one thing that's different about, you know, PeopleLogic, my, my latest company versus my prior companies is that, you know, we've always been entirely remote now at, at PeopleLogic, even from before the pandemic. And so the, the culture that's being created for the company is really, you know, that, you know, we're drawing so many different, uh, you know, from so many different places. And that's, it makes it very different in that, to your point, the, the remote people are the ones actually driving the versus the, the culture being driven from, you know, wherever the CEO is or where the, the local. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, it's really when you think about building culture in like a full remote scenario, it is definitely different, right? Like mm-hmm. it is, you know, there's people where, you know, maybe I might have passed that person in the hall. But now, you know, if we're not in the same Slack channels and things like that, like, how do we, you know, how do I get to meet them more often or see how they're doing? Uh, and so I'm hoping that, you know, post pandemic, I doubt we ever go back to a, you know, bunch of people working in the office, but I would love to get people together a lot more often. All right. I'd love to that, take that, yes. that like real estate budget and just say, okay, like we're going to, we're going to make more excuses for us to get together. Cause I'm the first to volunteer, right? Like some, some people on the West coast, we have a team out in kind of, you know, San Francisco, LA, Seattle, like all up and down the West coast. They were getting together like before Christmas. And I was like, I'll come out. Right. Cause I just want to have that, that human interaction and meet people. Um, and we, you know, I think we can do more of that. And then you can kind of separate the two, right. You can say, yeah, like, this is when I'm more focused on work. And then when we get together, like, yeah, we can do some work, but we can also have some fun and, and, you know, get to know each other. Yeah. It's a, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And that you also get this much wider variety of, of types of people that are, that are joining your team. For example, we have a, a gentleman on our team. He, you know, he, I think has moved around from San Francisco up to, you know, he house sat for some people in Napa to Chicago, and now he's in like Mexico City. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a very different life than, you know, maybe you and I would live, but, uh, you know, he gets to work and live wherever he wants to. And, yeah. Oh, I'm and, just waiting for my, my kids to, to graduate and I'll be living that life, but I've got like, <laughs> I've got like 10 years or something. <laughs> Longer than, uh, way more years of, uh, paying for Roblox, right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, let's, uh, you know, switching gears a little bit, you know, tell me about a time when, you know, you felt like, you know, uh, either Kevl or a company, you know, your prior companies where you felt like maybe you guys were growing too fast and things were starting to go off the rails. What did you do and, you know, how'd you get it back on track? Yeah, you know, I think I think the one time I could probably point to was, you know, because we so we like I mentioned earlier, we raised like a seed round in 2011 and we raised a little bit more in like 2012, 13 time frame. And then we kind of got to profitability and we're just growing kind of slow and steady. And then what kind of happened was we started to, as you know, the industry kind of came to us and we started to grow a lot faster, both from a revenue standpoint, but also from just a utilization standpoint. And I think that's when, I think there was, there was kind of a year there where we were trying to kind of figure out, like, do we, do we raise more money? You know, is this, is this gonna continue? And I think that year was really hard for most people at the company. Because we were, you know, not only growing really fast and, and, you know, companies and customers, but also, you know, the infrastructure, you know, the stress on the infrastructure of the company, you know, I think that was, you know, those are probably a, one of the more stressful years. 
Uh, and then really that ran right into saying, okay, we do need to go, you know, we should go raise more money so we can kind of get ahead of this growth. Cause I refused to ever like turn away a customer. Uh, so, you know, the end, yes. it was either, uh, you know, it was either sign them and, and then, you know, do we fail, which we didn't want to do or, you know, raise money and, and really start to, you know, kind of hire ahead of the growth. Mm-hmm. You know, I take it from the, the two most recent rounds that you've gone through that, uh, that direction worked pretty well for you. Yeah, no, it's been it's been amazing, right? I think having lived, I've now like I feel like lived all the different lives a, a, a founder can live, where it's you know seed company trying to grow quick, and then almost back to like a. Or I guess we were bootstrapped to start, so I did the bootstrapping thing, raised a seed round, then got back to profitability. Now you know, then raised an A round and a B round, and kind of more in the you know really hyper growth stage this is a great stage, right? Like it's great to have the resources when the demand's there. It's great to have the resources to be able to kind of meet that demand. But I wish we were growing faster in every way, right? Like I, you know, want to hire more people, sign more deals. I only want more. <laughs> well, you know, for, for all our sakes, I hope you're, you're able to achieve that. And, uh, you know, you got one more part of the journey that you still have to live on this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So how did you know or will you, you know, when you feel like you've kind of turned the corner from from being a, a startup, pure startup to to starting to scale up and being a, you know, more of a growth company? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I mean, I think raising the A round was really a big, a big differentiator, right? Because I think in the stage where we were, you know, I call it seed strapped, right? Because we'd raised a seed round, but then gotten to kind of break even, you know, it still very much felt like a startup, right? It's making the very scrappy decisions on, you know, how do we conserve cash? How do we do this in the most efficient way? And then with really raising the A round, it became, you know, what do we do to accelerate growth? And it's not all about, you know, the efficiency of it necessarily, right? And it's kind of changed the decision making. Um, And I think that's probably the big part of where I feel like it goes from from startup to, you know, scale up or or tweener and and Scott Wingo's uh, (laughs) vernacular. Is that when you really start to look at things as you know we're we're invest we're choosing where to invest uh, capital right into like where where will help us grow the most versus I feel like in startup it was always just how do we survive right like survive like maybe that's the that's the delineation right is that a, like as a pure startup it's just survival mode right right and yes. then at some point it switches you're, you're to, just trying to make it to the next day. Right. And I can, and now I feel like we're less in like, you know, I don't, I don't feel in survival mode at all. Right. It feels almost more like an opportunity capture mode. Right. Like we know the opportunities there. We've proven that. How do we best capture it? How do we best invest to, to grow as quickly as possible? And it's not really about worrying about, you know, when, you know, what's our runway and how do we get to this milestone to hopefully get somebody to give us money. Right. Like it's, it's less of those concerns. No, I think that's a that's a great answer, which I think, you know, kind of dovetails into the next question uh, as we get, you know, near the end of our time here. So what is your number one fear for 2020? My number one fear for 2022? That's a good question. I'd say I think losing good people would be my number one fear, right? Like, I think it's only really hammered home, I think, being remote. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of, uh, you know, like we've been fairly insulated, but I know, you know, lots of people are changing jobs. You know, I just think that our company is built on this great team that we put together. And I think that's the, you know, one of my number one goals is how do we make sure that 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 team is is loving what they're doing, right? And, you know, doing their best work and enjoying it. 
right? So I'd say that's the that's the thing that worries me the most, right? Is like I don't want to lose people from this team who are great and have done a great job and continue to do a great job. Uh, so yeah, that's probably what would keep me up at night more than anything else. Oh, that's a, a great answer, and it's something that we hear from from founders and CEOs all the time. Is just they're you know even if they haven't had any uh, of their people leave, there's the news and the you know the fear of it is is always right and it's just sort of you know kind of hanging behind them uh waiting to snatch their their great people um yeah it's just so disruptive right like exactly as any size company it's disruptive when when people leave right uh and so i think that's you know i think we're lucky in that by being fully remote i think a lot of the kind of great resignation is going on with with people who had kind of you know previously been you know looking for a job in the you know 20 mile radius of their house are now looking for a job in you know the world that that's different and that's probably what's leading to a lot more resignations at some of these traditional companies that had people in the office absolutely absolutely well james as we wind it down here uh you know we always like to ask who should we have next so what other ceo or founder do you think we should have on the show next yeah do they have to be current no. you know my favorite people to hear from guys like robbie allen or uh anil you know actually i'd say uh drew from validic would be great uh it's kind of a current ceo also in the durham area he's a great guy like i would definitely get him on fantastic well we'll uh we'll reach out and we'll get that uh get that happening james thank you so much for for being on the show here and you know we look forward to catching up again soon awesome thanks for having me matt Thank you for listening to this episode of the At The Corner podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to us wherever you get your podcasts. For show notes or more information, visit www.atthecornerpodcast.com. The ideas discussed during this episode are the opinions of the participants and do not serve as legal or financial advice. Until next time, this is the At The Corner podcast.